Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk. Happy Hour Radio, sponsored by Woodenville Wine Country. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KBI. Hey, and welcome to Happy Hour on this beautiful Saturday in Seattle. It's summertime, everybody, and that makes me happy. Here on Happy Hour Radio, for sure. Uh, what a fantastic week. Um, and way to end it would be just having fantastic guests. And I've got uh, Chris Dico from Seattle Magazine coming up on the show, chatting about red, white, and brew. And also have uh, the Spanish winery, Marques de Caceres from Rioja. And their ambassador, Luis Bergueño, who will chat up about uh, the cool wines from Rueda and, of course, the red wines from Rioja. But right now, I've got uh, the man... Uh, Doug McRae from Salida Wines. I chat about some of his Tempranillo. Um, Doug McRae, welcome to Happy Hour. Thank you. So um, when we were chatting uh, a couple shows ago, we were talking about Salida Wines and uh, of all the great uh, fruit sources you have, you were talking about Granacha and Tempranillo and uh, uh, Monestrel. <laughs> Monestrel, right, exactly. So um, tell me what fruit sources you have now and um, what you got brewing. Well, with this brand in particular, uh, there are three distinct vineyards. Uh, two Coyote, which is where we source uh, Tempranillo and where it all began. Um, from there also, Malbec. Uh, we have planted some other grapes there, so it'll be kind of fun to see what comes down the road. Um, kind of getting interested in making a little port. So, um, Turiga Nacional, which would kind of, I would assume, is about the most commonly known grape used for ports. Um, the White, El Barino. Uh, hails from a vineyard owned uh, by the Denhode family, very mm-hmm. renowned growers in our state as well. Uh, a vineyard uh, north, uh, due north of uh, Grandview, very close to Dick Boucher. Um, and, of course, it's called the Dutchman. <laughs> Third, uh, Olsen, north of Prosser. Oh, the Olsen family. The Olsen family, family yeah. exactly. And from there, uh, our other white has come, Garnacha Blanca, Grenache Blanca. Um, in addition to that... Um, Grenache itself, Coronacha, and uh, Mouvedre, or whichever name you want to call it today, Monastrel, Mataro, whatever. And uh, let's see, we planted a little bit of Tempranillo there, too, so there's a little more Clone 1 in the ground that I talked about earlier. And that's a what site again? That's a Two Coyote? No, that's all the Olsen property. Oh, the Olsen, sorry, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you, you have, you're actually producing three wines, but you have... Multiple sources. as well. The, the Albarino is the singular, okay? Got it. And then um, the Tempranillo from two sites... Uh, the Garanacha Blanca from the Olsen side of it, uh, as well as the Garanacha and the Monastrel. Well, um, I'm excited to taste uh, all of the wines. And uh, did you taste a lot of Spanish wines before? Because I know that you were you're truly a Washingtonian uh, in winemaking world, but um, this affinity for Spanish grapes is very intriguing. Well, yeah, I, I think it's again, it it really goes back to the fact that here I was, you know. Um, initially playing with Garnacha. And uh, and then that, obviously, Syrah came into the picture one year later when we planted there. And then beyond that, ultimately came the third bread, and that was the, you know, the Mouvedre. Um, so having been familiar already with those two, 
I guess it was maybe just uh, luck have it that Tempranillo would show up on my lap one day. <laughs> um, and uh, it's an interesting grape. Uh, and, and actually, to me, that and Mother have a little bit have a little bit in common with one another. Actually, it's fun. I don't know if, you, if I can throw this one in really quick, quick Chris. Um, there's a really excellent book. You may have seen it. And I've, right now I fail to remember the name of the woman who wrote it, the author. But her, her name is actually Italian. It's very clear when you see it. It's simply called Rioja. Mm. Excellent text. Cool. And in the beginning of the book, she quotes a gentleman who apparently is a historian of wines. And he claims that there was a vine growing in the valley of Rioja when the Romans arrived over 2,000 years ago. And it was the name of the vine that what they called it was Baliska. 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 Yeah. Actually, the Greeks preceded them. But then along came the Romans. And apparently what he's claiming is they took cuttings off of these vines, these Baliska vines, crossed the Pyrenees into France and ended up in what is now known today as Bordeaux. <laughs> but in theory, there were no grapevines. So I don't know if all of this pulls together. You probably know better than I whether this could be the case or not. Of course, the French would you know, vehemently object to all of that, <laughs> as they did to the whole idea where Syrah you know, originated. But essentially, um, he claims that Baliska could be the progenitor of the Bordeaux varietals. And it's interesting when you think about it, because if, in fact, let's say it was the, you know, the, the grandpappy of Dembranillo, right? right, which it evolved to, apparently, or something to that effect, although Tempranillo is really from two, two entirely different grapes, both red and white, much like Syrah. But essentially, what I see in Tempranillo, as far as this whole, you know, all the primary grapes that we think and talk about all the time, that if there is one grape that would resemble more the, you know, the varietals of Bordeaux, it would be Tempranillo. Interesting. Yeah. That's Think about the, the aromatics and the characteristic of the wine. There's some sort of, uh, you know, association Well, it's there. definitely not Syrah. I mean, you think about no. that. I mean, it's, it's and no. Tempranillo is, is also red fruit, but it can be black. But it's yes, not it can. purple and blue. Maybe sometimes a real yeah, barrel. Sometimes a little bit of that bluer side, yeah. 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 Well, that's cool. That's a cool story. So the book is called Rioja, but um, you've got three wines here, and I'm going to check right. out that book because uh, it sounds very interesting, and, and I love the history of it because once you get the history, you really appreciate, um, well, the progenitor is one of those great words we use. is like Cabernet Sauvignon. <laughs> no, that's not the king of grapes. That's uh, it's a child. <laughs> so I've got uh, the Albarino, and is. Let's see the label. It's a pretty label. And where did this label come from? It's a, a brown. Um, oh, you've got Salida. And those are is those the actual leaves from the vines? No, I don't think so. Oh. <laughs> no. This was created by a good friend of mine. Uh, her name is Nitya Pashloki. She uh, works in our industry. And she does websites. She does photography. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I very talented David woman. had her doing some stuff, I exactly. think. Exactly. They're very good friends. Yeah. And I basically described to her what, in my mind, my vision was, and she just took it from there. Mm. And that's why it looks this way today. Well, it's a great package. I think that's half of it. It's got to capture the eye. It's very appealing. Mm -hmm. uh, so good for you. Congratulations on that. But let's talk about the wine. So the first mm -hmm. one I have here, speaking with Doug McRae of Salida Wines, is the Albarino, which comes from the, well? Galicia. Galicia, in North, uh, Galicia is uh, a very large region, actually. Uh, they call it Green Spain, because most people think of Spain as this really dry, deserty place. Of course, it isn't. It's one of the most remarkable countries on the planet as far as diversity goes. But basically, Galicia uh, is on the Atlantic Ocean. So it's a, sort of the northern shoulder of Spain. 
it's uh, at that part of Spain, actually, you know, the ocean is sort of more or less east-west. Within that is a very tiny appellation called the Rias Baisas, and that's the home of Albarino. Um In that area, uh, seafood predominates. Oh, yeah. Very similar to here. And then there's all kinds of interesting stories about the Apostle James and, and, and the, the trail that he walked and that sort of thing with this scallops. And so it really <laughs> is. That was Apostle Jock. Yeah, there you go. So it's really fun. Um, you know, we're looking at uh, a wine that is a, is a beautiful wine to pair with shellfish, mm-hmm. predominantly with shellfish. Albarino is one of my favorite wines, especially in the summertime. And I know that, uh, of course, we drink Albarino from Spain because we don't have a lot of it here in the, in the U.S., uh, and especially stuff going into the right sites. Uh, so this, again, tell me where the vineyard source is for the Albarino. The vineyard source is owned by Bill Denhode and his family. Uh, the yes. name of the vineyard is the Dutchman. The it's Dutchman. directly north of, of Grandview. The style that I do it is different, though, than, you know, I mean, typically what you're going to find with Albarino, if you're in Spain, they're making it in stainless steel, a very high acid, low pH wine, typically. Um, in my case, I started thinking through this and I went, okay, I really don't know, you, in fact, would probably know far better than I in your position, uh, whether or not um, this would be generally accepted where we live here in Puget Sound um, by, you know, the customers. Uh, whether or not, in fact, Albarino is a varietal in that style, having such high acid would really would really grab people. So that coupled with the fact that um, I barrel fermented uh, most of my uh, Rhone white varietals for many years, it just seemed like the right way to go. So this is a barrel fermented Albarino. Well, I think uh, it works well. Rare. It's got some texture on it, and mm-hmm. I, I would typically be um, have an aversion to some of that that texture for Albarino because I think it's it. This is not masking the prettiness. And I think you've got just enough ripeness here. Uh, and the acidity does pull through. Because anytime you've got acid in wine, I think you can add texture. That's why Chardonnay works so well, especially yeah. in Burgundy, in my yeah. opinion. You've got two reds here. Um, and actually, tell me what the Albarino would run. Um, $20 at the most, 19 to $20. Right on. Okay. And your distributor is who? Uh, American Northwest. We'll give a little plug to Alan Jones. Yeah, out there. there you go. All right, so I got two reds. The first red is this. Uh, well, let's see. The one actually, I believe that is the last. Mm-hmm. I think that the one other that should be the Tempranillo. Okay. There you go. So this is a varietal Tempranillo, one hundred percent. That smells like Spain, buddy. Yeah, that's crazy. We've been accused of that any number that's of times. That's crazy. It's been in three blind tastings. This is amazing, Chris. Three blind tastings by some really serious wine groups. You know these guys that they meet once a month and they bag the wines, do all the thing, and uh, it was right in there with uh, wines from Roberto Duero, wines from uh, La Rioja, uh, you know La Mancha, all of these places. Um, in all three tastings, it finished. First place in two, and then barely missed first place in the third one. Wow. And they all were totally fooled, and they said it was Spain. It's, now, uh, it to smells me, like Spain. This is remarkable, isn't it? It is. I mean, to me, this is this is kind of like, I'm, now I'm going back 20 years, okay, when I first started with the Syrah deal. And then look at, <laughs> we'll, look at Syrah today, what's happened. Yeah. Well, they you figured know, it out, where to grow it, how to do it. And you, were, you had some great sites and some great wines, but now... I think the mainstream's caught up with all those people, and because there was so much oddball stuff out there that yeah. people were like, "What the heck?" You were one of the the great guys, you and Betts, and and doing the yeah. right thing. But there was everyone finally caught up to you. So, this is fantastic. It's just called Tempranillo. That's it, Tempranillo. It's and, all the clone one, which is a very small berry, actually. And as a result, we get a pretty intense wine, and we're finding that we have to give it. Um, 
a little bottle age for a while before it really starts to express. I, I opened up one of the 06s recently. It was like a baby. Oh. That was the first vintage. Well, I really appreciate This is the 2011 vintage, the Salida Tempranillo. Correct. It's delicious. The third wine you have is what? I named it Fuego Sagrado, which basically means the sacred fire. I think earlier I alluded to the fact that I was doing a late night on the web. Yeah. And I've always been fascinated with pyramids. And there's actually a culture in very the very southern end of Peru where they actually built these pyramids. But no one really paid much attention because there's not any gold or silver, the precious metals, that make it mm. worth it to the archaeologists to spend the time I and see. all the cost to unearth. Exactly. you got to get some, some trinkets, uh, more than trinkets, I should say. For some reason or another, it was intriguing to me. And I don't know why that's stuck, but it's stuck. So the wine is fundamentally a blend uh, of Malbec and Tempranillo. Strange bedfellows, but again, as I said earlier with Paul. Well, but, they both uh, speak Spanish in those countries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Argentina. There you go. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, uh, I think it's, it's really fun. I'm working it uh, and developing the, the wine as, as we speak. It may go into even more varietals in there over time. And this says good acidity. Is this uh, a 2011 or is this 12? That's actually 2010. 10, okay. Yeah. Good. It's, it's got structured. I wasn't yeah. trying to figure that out. Yeah. Um, that's a, that wine candy. is pretty polished. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm pleased. I remember trying the wines when you first came out. I I thought they were that you just hadn't honed your fruit sources yet. I think you honed them here. You've got it down. In my opinion, my humble opinion here on Happy Hour Radio, Slate of Wines, you've 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 hit the stride. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to taste. I'm glad. I know it just took us a couple of weeks to finally get these wines in our glass and in, in on uh, on air to chat about. But um, I'm really excited that uh, you make three wines total, right? Of the Salida brand? No, we make more than that. There's a blend of uh, the three primary reds that we've been talking about uh, all, okay. all the time. What's that of called? Spain, it's called Tres Vinos. Tres Vinos. Correct. We, we also do a white wine from Granache Blanca. Um, and we do sort of a red wine that we just simply go rojo. <laughs> so that's the barrels that didn't Let quite the make good the good times rojo. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Now, here's one more last one because I know our time's running out, but we will be releasing uh, a... Uh, Morvedra, which we are going to call, um, actually in this case, we're, we're going to call it Mataro. Uh. And then, not last but not least, a very unknown Spanish grape, Graciano. Graciano. Well, congratulations, Doug McCray with Sleeta Wines. Thanks, very tasty, good stuff. Uh, here on Happy Hour Radio, uh, we'll be right back with uh, some fantastic guests. I'm going to keep them a surprise to keep you tuned in. Uh, and we'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. Hey, this is Chris Gorman from Gorman Winery, and you are listening to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan on 570-KVI. Breaking down the big stories, Len Beck, weekdays 9 to noon on Talk Radio 570-KVI. Now more KVI Want to Know Weekends. Back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. That's right, it's Happy Hour in the Pacific Northwest, and welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. So excited. I have um, a man from Spain, a man from Spain, and not a man from La Mancha, a man from Rioja. I have Luis Bergueño uh, from uh, Marques de Caceres, uh, one of the sp uh, Spanish producers that produces both white and red wines, um, some of the most lovely labels. I've always loved that color of red. But Luis de Bergueño, welcome to Happy Hour. Thank you, Chris. Uh, thank you for having me here. Or is it's it bien, Bienvenidos? 
Bienvenidos. Good accent. Por la hora de feliz. That's right. We've got it. We're learning all sorts of things. Uh, so let's talk about Spain. Spain's a big country. It's about the size of Washington State, isn't it, or is it larger? Um, I'm not sure. Pretty sure. We'll, we'll, use, we'll use that. It's, it's a little smaller. bigger. A little bigger. It looks stands out. It's yeah. like us taking over British Columbia a little bit, and then maybe a little Portland and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little bit of Idaho. Uh, also, have Val Marcus here, who is uh, one of the reps extraordinaire for uh, Vineyard Brands. Yes. And uh, she's been uh, in the market, uh, always having a great bag of wines with from France and, of course, uh, Spain. So Rioja is uh, upper middle. If we look at a map, we're looking at uh, probably just closer to... To the 12, right? I mean, it was right in the middle there, huh? Yes, right in the middle. Um, you know, if you look at the map of Spain, Madrid is right in the center. You get a car, drive three hours north, and you get to Rioja. You keep driving two more hours, you get to the ocean. And you keep driving two more hours, you get to Bordeaux. <laughs> <laughs> I love so that. So three hours, not from Madrid. Yeah. And that's interesting you mentioned Bordeaux because we know that uh, when Phylloxera hit back in the late 1800s, the Bordelais, well, they were, their vines were wiped out, so they went south. They took that two-hour, right. six-hour, how many yeah. horse-hour drive? Hours, yeah, four hours, four-hour yeah. drive at the moment, probably longer. Right? On the horses, yeah, on the horses. or on the trains. So um, <laughs> and days, that yeah. really changed the landscape of, of Spanish winemaking, didn't it? That's right. And in fact, uh, thanks to the Phylloxera sort of speech, um, you know, uh, Rioja was, um, you know, Rioja was flooded with all these uh, oak barrels from France. And in fact, the uh, uh, founder and owner of Marquez de Cáceres, the Fourner family, Henri Fourner, was a pioneer in the region, bringing all these um, new barrels, French oak from from Bordeaux and using them in, in Rioja. Now, why did he bring them from Bordeaux? He actually was raised in Bordeaux. He was born in Spain, uh. but raised in Bordeaux. Yeah, we uh, the family when he was a little kid was involved in politics back in the nineteen thirties. <laughs> a little kid? <laughs> yeah. Well not him, his family, right? And they you know, we had the civil war in Spain back in the nineteen thirties. Yes. So, you know, the the war that uh, the civil war that Franco won and then we had this guy for forty years. So the family when things got a little rough, they decided to exile to France. So that's the reason why when he was a little kid. Uh, exiled to France. So he saw that way of making style and yeah. really so he learned it. Yeah, in Bordeaux. Yeah, yeah. He, they, the family owned a couple of chateaus there, and so he has this uh, big influence. So yeah, Bordeaux, um, you know, played a very, really important, very important role in Rioja and especially for Marquez de Cáceres. That's really cool. So um, when was Marquez de Cáceres uh, Cáceres founded? It was founded in 1970. Seven zero. Yeah, seven really? zero, which is a fairly young for a Rioja winery. Some it wineries is. are, you know, way over a hundred oh, years old. Baronia and Lopez de Heredia, and yeah, all those, you know, the Marquises and and so on. So what happens is because we our brand has a very, you know, good and wide distribution, some people think we are, you know, we've been around for you know for hundreds of years, right? But we're fairly young for Rioja, yeah. That is very young. Uh, that's like Washington State for, for crying out loud. Like mm-hmm. San Michelle started in just about about the same time. That's right. There are some wineries here in the U.S. that are as old as we are. Well, very cool. So, uh, how many wines? I know. Let's just talk about Spanish in Rioja. So basically, we're talking about Tempranillo, right? We've got Tempranillo, perhaps a little Graciano, Mazuelo. And Garnacha. And Garnacha, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, Those and, are the four red grapes that are um, allowed in Rioja. Uh-huh. And then for the whites, it's uh, Viura. And, and so that's Maccabeo? It's Maccabeo in the south, yeah. Yes, okay. In La Mancha. And then there is a little of uh, Malvasia planted. 
Malvasia, some people say. <laughs> Malvasia. Yeah. yeah so Vera is the predominant white grape, yeah. Are there any sweet wines made in Rioja? Yeah, you know, some producers, we do. We do make a, a we call it medium sweet wine. So it's not that sweet, but it has some residual sugar. And those yeah. are reds or whites? Uh, those are white, yeah. Uh-huh. Made from Viura. Viura, and is that pasito, a little bit of pasito, or are they just stopping fermentation early? Well, we do, yeah, we stop the fermentation to oh, keep the residual sugar around 30 grams per liter. Okay, and are do. those sparkling too? They have a little bit of spritz to it or anything? No, like they're still, hmm. yeah, they're still. So they're fun, fun wines to drink, you know, with, uh, you know, by the pool, you know, easy drinking, super approachable, yeah. Well, I'm planning to go on Spain, as I mentioned uh, off air. Um, tell me about some of the foods I can uh, uh, plan to enjoy there in the Rioja region. Well, Rioja is known for uh, for its lamb. Lamb is like the you know the regional dish there. You know when it comes uh, when it comes to meat. Um, but then they grow uh, they grow uh, asparagus in the area. They grow piquillo peppers. Uh. Piquillo peppers are from that region. Yeah, all you right. Can have them um, just um, baked in the oven. You can have them stuffed with cod. You know stuff like that. Oh yeah, that's a that's a classic Spanish dish too. Yeah. I'm so excited about Spain, and I'm glad that you're here. Speaking with Luis Bergueño from Marques de Caceres, uh, and uh, it's a Rioja producer founded in 1970. They produce reds and whites. Um, I see you brought some white. Uh, but that's necessarily not from uh, Rioja. So when we're talking about Rioja, we're speaking about Tempranillo wines for the most part, except for the Vieux Malvasia blends. And uh, the Rioja wines um, are, are typically known for a long time in oak and in bottle. They have this very, very pink-orange color um, and some bright reds as well. But they, they're, they're known for this oxidative style of wine. And, and they, I think that's changed with uh, Marques de Caceres here and because of these, the freshness that your, your wines have. That's right. Um Actually, there's one of the, in my opinion, uh, biggest contributions of the Fourner family to the region back in the late 1960s when, when Henri Fourner, the founder, right, in Rioja, he, you know, by bringing all these new techniques from Bordeaux, he changed, uh, he came up with a different style of wines, much fruitier. At the time, Rioja wines were, as you say, very traditional. We say traditional, uh, meaning yes. long agings in very old barrels. So would you just... You would get only uh, oxidation from that. That was the trend. There's nothing wrong with that, but that was the trend at the moment. So he came out with fruitier wines. He would use newer oak barrels. And and in fact, he didn't dare sell his wines in the domestic market for a few years because he thought that oh. the Spanish consumers wouldn't... You sure. know, wouldn't understand or like the style. A that's why, backlash. Yeah, that's why he started exporting his wines and from the very beginning and... That is the reason why our brand is so international. And today we export to over 100 countries direct. So being the U.S., uh, our biggest export market. And total production then? We produce, you know, depends on the year, because some of the wines are produced only in good years, like the high end, like the Reserva sure. we're tasting today. But on average, half a million cases. Half a million cases. That's right. amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking with Luis Bergueño of Marques de Caceres and uh, a Rioja producer, when we come back from this break, we're going to dive into this beautiful red wine, the 2009 Reserva from Rioja. And uh, coming up on the show, I have Chris Deco. Uh, from Seattle Magazine, they've got a cool event called Red, White, and Brew, uh, and that's going to be really fun. Um, so stay tuned on Happy Hour Radio. We'll be right back.
Hi, I'm Jeff Cox with PCC Natural Markets, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan on 570 KVI. The Commute with Carlson, weekdays 5 to 9, only in Seattle on Talk Radio 570 KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. That's right. We've got more happy. More happy hour radio right here on 570 KVI. Coming up on the show, I've got Chris Deco of Seattle Magazine. Uh, chat about the Red, White, and Brew event, which is coming up on uh, Friday, July 25th at seattlemag.com. But right now, we're going to Spain, speaking with Luis Bergueño of Marques de Caceres, winery from Rioja. So, uh, Rioja region, center of Spain, little upper north, central, and uh, three particular areas of that region in Rioja, the Alta, Baja, and Alavesa, are the subregions of the wine growing areas? Tell us about something, and uh, where did Marques de Caceres grow their grapes? So Marques de Caceres is based um, on a, a little village called Cenicero, <laughs> right? Cenicero, for those who can't do the lisping, Cenicero is in Rioja Alta. Yeah, Rioja Alta meaning Upper Rioja. So that appellation, as you say, is divided in three subregions. So the Ebro uh, River crosses all along the appellation. Ebro, E B R O. Yep. Yep. Um, so the Appalachian is uh, roughly like 60 miles long. So the Ebro goes from the northwest to the sort of southeast. And Rioja Alta and Alavesa are towards the north. Mm-hmm. So as you go towards the east, you get to Rioja Baja, lower Rioja. So the valley opens up, is flatter. So you get, you know, more uh, Mediterranean influence, you know, it's warmer. And the fact is that for the most part, um, the biggest names of Rioja are based out of uh, Rioja Alta and Alavesa. Sure. The better, those are noted for the better growing regions, a little more diurnal yeah. shift, different types of soils. What's the planting of Tempranillo there? Is there? Are they bush vines? Are they cordon trained? Are they double cordon? You find both. Yes. Yeah. So some people, you know, they continue with the traditional way. What happens is the ownership of vines in Rioja is very fragmented. Super from oh, ownership, the ownership. <laughs> so you go there and you see plots here and there, and they are you know looking south, looking because you know it's a very old population. So yes. families they inherit, you know, so they have to to divide into all the you know the the members of the family. Oh, they got that Napoleon so thing. So you have going like on, a huh? couple of acres, you know, you don't really you know you might be happy just keeping your bush, you know, vines, or if you could you know you got more, you may want to you know trellis them to work on them. So very very fragmented. So you find everything. Yeah? So being a new winery in 1970, did they was everything planted fresh? New vineyards, or did you purchase? Good vineyards? question. Even at the time when Mister uh, when a referent got there, because the ownership was very fragmented, he decided not to buy, not to purchase vine. So he mm. signed up long term contracts okay. with the growers for them to supply the winery. For the most part, those contracts are still on this day, and we work like eighty-five percent with the same families as in the seventies. So yeah, we have these contracts. We renew them every five years. We have you know we pay pay incentives yeah. to the growers for them to bring us you know lower yields, you know higher quality, you know more ripeness, and it's working well. So how how much uh, um, how many different sp- Levels of wine. Yeah, we have a Crianza, the Hoven Crianza Reserva, Ground Reserva. How many different SKUs uh, uh, does Marques de Caceres produce? We are now producing ten. Ten different wines. And the the ultra premium wine, the one, the old stuff. What 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 is that called? 
Grand Reserva, 2000. What's the current vintage? Uh, the current vintage is 2005. 2005? Yeah. Is there much vintage variation in Rioja, truly? In terms of the quality? Oh, I guess, but... You, you, yeah. The style um, of winemaking never seemed to, to influence, to have a quality influence so much as more of a, a flavor profile based on it's the winemaking. Well, the philosophy of Rioja is, you know, we do the selling for the customer. You know, that's why, you know, our current uh, release on the Grand Reserve is 2005. Caravan, just yeah. not being shipped now. So you know, by aging the wine, keep it in the bottle. You know, you know we, you know, you sort of polish the wine and 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 you know you have it ready to drink. Um, you don't find that in many areas, in many regions in the world. I'd no. say. And they do only produce uh, Reserva Grand Reserva in good vintages, so they don't produce those every year. So there is vintage variation. So there's yeah. no 06 Grand Reserva. No, no yeah. 06, okay. no 07. But this is uh, right. this is uh, it's not mandatory by the sure. Uh, but the region is just a, a producer's option. So yeah. you know the family chose to um, release those wines only good years. So you have a, we release 04, 05. There I thought 04 08. was a good vintage too. Yeah. It was tasty, delicious. 01, 04, 05. Val, what is the, what would the Grand Reserva cost uh, uh, in retail for the 2005? Uh, around forty, early uh, low forties. Yeah, some of the best values in the world as far as um, you know, old vines, great winemaking, and just wonderful, fantastic vintage. Yeah, ten-year-old wine for around forty dollars. Yeah, I've always said that if you could save, you know, if it cost you a penny a day to send the wine back in a restaurant, just think, ten years is thirty-six fifty <laughs> yeah, right, right there. Right. On top. Oh, right. <laughs> right. Well, um, I'm really taste enjoying this wine. What's interesting about Tempranillo for me is that obviously with Spanish has this old world scent, but the ripeness in the heat units provide this this new world ripeness and flavor. You get the, the dark red fruits. Spanish wines can, the Rioja ones can be a little tricky because you've got American oak in some of them, but you have French oak. You get the moderate to moderate plus tannin. Um, there's, a, there's a freshness baked quality. So when we're doing blind tasting with the, the sommelier group, sometimes these Riojas are, are can tricky, very yeah. tricky. Well, Tempranillo, the, the Tempranillo gravy is very versatile. Um, you can, you know, you can you can make uh, medium-bodied wines, you know, nice, easy drinking, like our Crianza, and that's the idea of a Crianza, you, to, you know, to, to release a, a wine that it can be paired with lots of different foods. And But you can also produce bold wines that are aged for a long time in the barrels and have super complex, um, super complex wines. And also, you know, there's a, we have a bunch of Prefiloxar vines in, in Rioja from which mm. we make uh, our premium wine, which is called Gaudium. We only make 4,006 packs when we make it. So those, you know, those vines are Prefiloxar, super old vines, over 100 years old. And the temperature you get from there is, you know, these small berries with super thick skin, you know, lots of tannins, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Tempranillo, some people say, no, nah, it's like Pinot Noir, blah, 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 like Medina. You can have, you know, a very wide, you know, range of different types of wine, you know, more New World style, sure. old. It's a great grape. Yeah, it's very, very versatile. Uh, yeah, very versatile in winemaking style. So this wine, this is the 2009 Reserva, which means, and when we talk about Spanish wines, you're looking at really uh, levels of aging, whether it's in oak or in the bottle. So you got the Hoven, Crianza, Reserva, Ground Reserva. So we have a Reserva 2009, which means it's two years in bottle. It's a total of, of four years, in our case, four years of aging, two in the oak barrels, French. And then two years in the bottle. Yes. Doing the bottle aging. Okay. So, uh, so two and two. Yeah. So one, one thing I want to say, when when you see the word Reserva in a bottle of Rioja, or a Spanish bottle, but Rioja specifically, um, that is a legal term. It's not marketing. So the wine has yes. to qualify. I'm saying this because you find wines from other 
regions or countries. Oh, you yeah. see reserve. Everyone's... I mean, it's nothing in terms of it's an option. It's marketing. This is a legal term. The wine has to qualify to yes. be able for us to print that on the label. So yeah, like in Italy. And in Spain, yeah, it's the same exactly. for Rioja and Ribera yeah. Duero. So really that's why it's such time. a value because you know you're getting uh, quality winemaking. So um, delicious wine. What's the price point on this, Val? About twenty dollars. Twenty bucks. Nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's it just makes me hungry because it's such a food wine. Yeah. We're talking. It's just got mm, I, so many good things can go with with that uh, that style of wine. It's moderately dry, and well, it is dry, but it's just the tannins are so integrated. So tell me about this white wine. It's summertime, and I've been drinking lots of pink wine, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm into some cool whites, and it's hard to get really wonderful whites in, in the states. I think that just have the Christmas and and uh, vival- vivaciousness. Right. So this is a uh, uh, actually a brand new Cáceres white. Uh, this is made from a hundred percent Verdejo Verdejo grapes. Uh, these grapes are native to a region called Rueda, very close to Rioja, and uh, it's a new venture that the the family uh, from our family is uh, you know developing, and um, it's a grape that is. Uh, you know, us more acknowledging than Viura. That's the reason why we decided to 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 you know to invest here. And typically, Everdejo is um, dry. It has a very pleasant bitterness at the end, but has a nice crispy fruit. Yeah? And again, the uniqueness of the of the varietal makes it a, a perfect um, wine for the summertime. And also because it's a great value, like all our, all of our wines. You What's know, this run? Well, it's usually around nine ninety nine, but we always put it on sale every summer, so it's seven ninety nine oh, for the next couple months. Oh, that's a steal! Yeah. Screw top, beautiful packaging. Uh, it's fresh. There's just a uh, there's a certain softness to this wine on the mouthfeel. I think that's great winemaking. But I know with a little more chill, it's going to be nice and bright and vibrant, but give you this great uh, mouthfeel. Uh, delicious wine, and that's from the Verdejo grape Verdejo from grape. the region of Rueda, R U E D A. So we've had Rioja and Rueda, the two twins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, well, Luis Bergueno, uh thank you so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. It's great to connect with uh, you know the the old world, and I'm glad that you're here in Seattle to to share. How do you say it? Marques de Cáceres. Cáceres. Got it. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. Hey, coming up after this break, I got Chris Deco with Seattle Magazine. We're going to chat about the Red, White, and Brew event, which is happening this Friday, July 25th. Um, Check out seattlemag.com. And if you're out there in the Twitter sphere, I want everybody to be tweeting up all the cool whites and reds and brews uh, and copy me at Happy HR Radio. It is Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, and we'll be back right after this break. Hi, this is Dennis Cakebread with Cakebread Sellers. You're listening to Happy Hour Radio on 570 KVI. Lars Larson has the real story. Weekdays, 6 to 9 p.m., only on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Talk Radio 570 KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now, back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, and I've got Chris Dico with Seattle Magazine online. Chris Dico, welcome to Happy Hour. 
Thank you very much. Great to be here. Hey, uh, I love Seattle Magazine, um, but I have to say I also get Seattle Metropolitan Magazine because I want to be in the know of everything. But uh, your pictures and your cocktail section and your wine section are always so fun. Uh, A.J. Rathbun is the cocktail man. Absolutely, and he's phenomenal. He's a man about town. We trust him greatly, and he, he puts together some great work. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to have him on the show here uh, actually next week, so that's going to be really cool for me. And then, of course, Shannon Borg's been with you for a while. She does the wine column. Absolutely. She's been a you know, steadfast face here at the magazine, and uh, you know, she's, we just love her opinion. We love her experience, and uh, she brings together a great team for the coverage. It's really fun, and uh, I understand that uh, Seattle Magazine, uh, you guys always do a great job on the best of, and you have a new, uh, well, not a new event, you have a best of wine tasting and spirits tasting and beer tasting. Tell me what's coming up, this Red, White, and Brew. Absolutely. Red, White, and Brew. This is actually the third annual Red, White, and Brew event that, we, that we're throwing. Uh, continues to grow every year. The main focus is to allow our readers to come and taste some of the wines that we've featured in our August edition of Seattle Magazine, which is typically our, our best of wines of the year. Oh, so it's coming out. What's the date? When, do I, when will I get that in my mailbox? Should hit uh, basically about the 21st uh, of this month. You know, it comes out about a week before first of the Perfect. month. Perfect. So. That'll so be it, Monday. It be after this, that's just Monday. Excellent. Absolutely. So um, Red, White, and Brew, you've got a panel of experts, and you you'd solicit wines from uh, across the state. Is it just Washington, or do you go beyond? Just Washington. Uh, and this year, we're, we're grouping them by varietal. And, you know, I think we have about 17 or 18 different wineries that are represented this year. Um, you know, various categories, various price points. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of a wide smattering of those, those phenomenal wines across the state. So how many wines do you think we'll have total? Uh, like 25 wines or so? Or is each one uh, bringing one? Yeah, wine? I would say about that. Absolutely. You know, there's some for winemakers of the year and vineyards of the year um, and things like that, which we'll have featured at the event. But for the most part, yeah, you're looking between 25 and 30 different wines. And so this is open to the public. This is an event. Where is it held? It is held at the Fremont Foundry. Great new venue. will be on the rooftop on July 25th. Uh, Friday night on the roof in Fremont. That sounds fun. Not a fun. bad place to be. Yeah, I love it. Um, uh, so how do we get tickets? Seattle Magazine's got a website, or do, is there a tip box office? We do. SeattleMag.com. We're selling the tickets uh, right now. You know, and the, the event uh, has some proceeds benefiting Earth Corm, who is, we're excited to help out. And, yeah, we're, we're going to sell out, so you got to get your tickets quick, but, but hit our website, seattlemag.com, and, and, and jump on it. Well, this is great, because I know everyone listening today uh, uh, on a Saturday is going to be looking forward to their next Friday's event. Uh, Seattle Magazine has got Red, White, and Brew, and uh, uh, you're going to have some food there, too, right, Chris? Oh, yeah. We're going to have great catering from On Safari Foods. We'll do some sampling from Ocean Naturals Premium Tuna. And in addition to the, the, the great wineries, we're also going to have uh, six breweries, local breweries that are going to be pouring some samples and a special cocktail from Hendrix Gin. Ah, perfect. So I get a little of everything. I've got all the taste buds covered here. Absolutely. How about some uh, entertainment? Do we got uh, stilt walkers or fire breathers? Or <laughs> Not this time. You know, with that much alcohol around, we, uh, we couldn't get the insurance for those, uh, those fire breathers. <laughs> but, you know, when you're on the rooftop in Fremont with some, uh, some killer sounds... Not much more you need. Oh, so fun. So that's Red, White, and Brew, uh, Friday, July 25th. Tickets available at seattlemag.com. I like that website. Hey, Chris Deco, thanks for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Absolutely. I'll see you there.
Thanks. Fantastic. Hey, uh, coming up on the show next week, I've got some wonderful guests. As I was chatting up with Chris, I've got A.J. Rathbun, who is the master mixologist for Seattle Magazine. And he's their cocktail commodore, just like me, so we'll have him in the studio next week on the 26th. I also have Steve Metzler, who uh, is the man behind Classical Wines of Spain. And I can't just get enough of Spain. I want everyone to be drinking more Spanish wine. No offense to Washington, but uh, you got to keep that palate uh, international so we can appreciate it. And we got here and abroad. Steve Metzler will join me, and also a special guest from the Auction of Washington Wines. That event's taking place uh, well, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, August 14, 15, and 16 over at San Michel. Um, so looking ahead, boy, summer is flying by. I want you to save the date for September 14th for the Seattle Wine Awards and the Oregon Wine Awards, the gold medal wine experience at the Seattle Waterfront Marriott Hotel. That's going to be a fantastic experience, just like Red, White, and Brew. We're going to taste uh, the gold and double gold medal award winners. Probably going to have 70-plus wineries. So uh, seattlewineawards.com or uh, as a benefit for West Seattle Food Bank. Org. I want to thank uh, Young's Columbia Distributing and all the partners there uh, for helping promote the show and partner, and also our friends at Esquin Wine and Spirits. also want to welcome uh, our new partner, Precept Wine, the family there that just purchased the sparkling wine from Mex- New Mexico, Gruet. Uh, so don't forget, I'll see you at Red, White, and Brew on Friday, July 25th. Tickets available at SeattleMag.com. And I'll see you here next Saturday, the following day, hopefully not hungover, on Happy Hour Radio. Remember, folks, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers.